Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. All right, Mike Murphy. That was the clumsiest audio salute ever to Her Royal Majesty, Queen Elizabeth. But I know what it means to you, the Anglophile, weird Irish Anglophile that you are. My Anglophile thing has certain limits that involve the uh, northern (laughs) counties, but we'll get into that later. An amazing person on the world stage, an incredible life lived with great honor. So, all right. Are you introducing Favreau? No, no. Oh, gonna, you're talking about the Queen still. Gonna, yeah, yeah. I, I'm doing the hundred year stamp of history, people. Then we're then we're getting along to you know our political hack pals here. So anyway, you know, I heard the music. I uh, I was moved to remember her. Yes. Well, that was. I knew it would move you. That's why I ordered it up. But we've got as they continue with tributes for another week. We've got. Issues closer to home. And we've got another world-class figure here, the uh, podcaster extraordinaire, wordsmith without parallel. Literally the aristocrat of of podcasting. I'm trying to transition (laughs) thing here. Podcasting royalty. Yes, John Favreau from Pod Save America, Crooked Media, my old colleague, my old pal. Hey. Good to see you, brother. Thanks for having me, guys. What an intro. I love being podcasting royalty. And I got to thank Favs right here. I own two pair, not one, but two new pair of Ray-Ban sunglasses because you tipped me off to Kara Swisher to show up at the Code Conference, which I thoroughly enjoyed terrifying the audience about potential Republican wins. And they were giving away those things. And being from Detroit, I nicked two of them. Look at uh, you. One for my kid, one for me. So thank you, pal. Yeah, she said, I, she said, I need a smart political type in Los Angeles. And I thought about it and I said, my friend Mike Murphy lives right down the street. I think he could do it. And he needs some sunglasses. And the three people you wanted are all sick this week. So yeah, there was know, a couple. Kind of stuck. Well, that, was the other, <laughs> that was the other thing. So anyway, Favs, you, uh, among your many enterprises over there at Crooked Media, you have been monitoring on your podcast, The Wilderness, uh, the goings-on politically around the country. We're now into it, man. We're we're eight weeks out uh, from today's the last primary in New Hampshire. We'll talk about that in a second. But tell me what you're seeing and hearing uh, from your listening post there in, in Hollywood or wherever you live. <laughs> yeah, I actually decided to uh, leave the podcast studio and hit the road. And I talked with voters in... Uh, I did uh, Pittsburgh, Virginia, Atlanta, uh, Vegas, and uh, Orange County uh, down in Katie Porter's district. And I talked to a pretty diverse mix of voters, but I wanted to talk to Biden voters who are pretty disconnected from politics, don't pay much attention to the news, and were unsure, mostly unsure of what they're going to do in the midterms. And I did it over the spring and summer. And, you know, the top issue that came up inflation without being without me asking about it just what's going on in your life people are upset about rising prices housing was an issue that came up over and over again Mm -hmm. um obviously this was the spring and summer where the supreme court uh the dobbs decision came down abortion did come up quite a few times gun violence actually came up quite a few times in these different focus groups but did not hear a lot of love for republicans but um not a lot of excitement about democrats 
from from these groups. And uh, I think it's going to be a real challenge getting some of them out to the polls in November, even though this is these are groups of people who did show up for Joe Biden in 2020. What Favs is saying is uh, reinforcing what I've been feeling, which is, you know, where Democrats were uh, completely in the in, in you know, uh, in abject despair in the spring, there's now a kind of irrational exuberance uh, yeah. that, uh, you know, somehow uh, the the headwinds can be navigated and that this will turn out to be a happier story for Democrats. And I do think things have improved uh, after the Dobbs decision, after Trump's reemergence, after all these uh, nut jobs on the right have been nominated by Trump in some of these key races. But I still have this sense that uh, the headwinds are the headwinds. There was a new inflation report today that was pretty discouraging. I, I think what Favreau's reporting here is um, more more of a realistic read on, on, on the country. No, I agree. Look, remember, as you guys know well, both parties every cycle, and we're in weirder times, as I like to joke, crazy times often demand a crazy president. We tried that for four years. We're, you know, putting the madness aside for a minute, both parties have the same meeting. In a presidential year election, the Democrats are like, we got all these young voters who show up in these big elections, and they tend to do pretty well. In the off year, uh, the grumpy old retired army colonels all vote Republican. So, and the young voters don't show up. There's about a one-third difference, give or take, in, in turnout level. So the, the, the magic gasoline pill, the, the, the wonder weapon, the, the big secret has always been, can the Democrats figure out a way to get all those young voters to participate in the midterms? And historically, they've tried everything. You know, skywriting, Eric Schmidt, magic computers, doesn't work. And so the question is, will this diff- election be different? And I think what, what John's picking up is, that normal disconnect from less intense voters or less committed voters in the midterm elections, some of it exacerbated by Biden's own problem. And second, just quickly, the other thing is 90% of the people, political junkies, and the cable pundits, God help us, use polling as a therapy animal, depending on what side they're on. So, because they think polls predict the future. We know they analyze the election and they're taken through the rearview mirror. Uh, Gibbs and I have a lot on this in the, in the newsletter out today. So, when the polls creep up, there's euphoria. We're not going to die. We're going to be fine. And all the cable TV and cocktail party chatter immediately switches. But we hacks know that summer polling is soft. And in a wave election, it can all fall apart in two weeks at the end. And all of a sudden, everybody who's polling five points up, if they're linked up to the president people are cranky about. What happened? We, they lost by three points. There was an eight-point jump in the last two or three weeks. So I remember 1980, and you kids out there in Radioland ought to Google it, uh, when, you know, at the end, it just popped. And we've had other elections like that. That was a presidential year, a little different. But, you know, the Democrats were in shock yeah. at some of the characters in the Senate. So my point is, the wave is still out there. It can still happen. So things have gotten a little better, but I would not buy any champagne yet if and I were a Democrat. just for our listeners, to, uh, the, he will be making 19th century references uh, later in the podcast as well. So I, I write them with a large quill here. <laughs> I was I was born in eighty one, so I missed that election. Just a year, just a year. Jesus, that hurts. Okay, (laughs) so but 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 listen, uh, there's a 
there's there are other factors here. And I just want to Favs um, in terms of young voters, and you you know Pod Save America has a it, it skews younger, not exclusively, but you have a young listenership. Um, I do think that something happened in June when the Dobbs decision came out, um, I, you know, and the enthusiasm gap in polling has closed. What What is your sense of that? I mean, do you believe that younger voters are more engaged now than, than you expected them to be? So it's interesting. When I did the focus group of younger voters, that was the one in Orange County. It was a diverse group of 20-somethings, um, mixed income, and it was right after Dobbs. And every single one of them in the focus group were outraged about the Dobbs decision. And in fact, when we were recruiting for that focus group, um, after the Dobbs decision, it became harder to find voters who said that they um, weren't certain about voting in the election. So even the recruitment for the group became harder. Um, But after we talked about Dobbs and they all talked about how outraged they were about the decision, I said, all right, how many of you are voting in the midterms? And the woman next to me said, what's that? And this was a Biden voter. This was someone who showed up for Biden. And then I said, uh, how many of you know who your member of Congress is? No one knew who their member of Congress was. (laughs) They all have Katie Porter. And then someone said, I filled out a ballot a couple weeks ago. Was that for this election? I said, that was for a primary election. So the the knowledge about candidates, about elections, about politics, even for young people who know about the decision and are outraged is, is minimal, which is a problem. But I will say, you know, I did one focus group in Virginia, and that was... Uh, uh, Biden Youngkin voters, people who, who who went for Glenn Youngkin in their 2021 race, and they were more college educated. That group was much more likely to say, OK, I voted for Glenn Youngkin, but I'm going to vote Democrat uh, in the midterm. And we actually went back to some of those voters after the Dobbs decision. And the ones who were on the fence said that Dobbs pushed them towards the Democrats. That's the college educated group. The, the, the groups that actually were the toughest who I talked to were uh, working class Latinos in Vegas and younger black voters in Atlanta, uh, mixed income. And I have rarely heard such disappointment and disgust with politics and disappointment with the Democratic Party. And not necessarily just because like Joe Biden and the Democrats aren't progressive enough. It wasn't that. It's just I voted for these people and I thought that they were going to make my life better and nothing has changed and nothing has happened. And I, I don't and I don't even know if the Democrats are the party of working people anymore. And that's what I heard from those groups. You know, if I were to put on my Kreskin glasses here, another old reference and uh, predict the future, there's going to be a lot more teeth gnashing uh, uh, among the Dems about the Latino vote after this election because they've made a bad calculus. And we've talked about it before. The the Democrat leadership elite, I think, and I don't mean congressional, just in the party, treats the Latino vote like an identity vote when really it is a basic family economics vote. And that's where inflation and everything costing a lot um, is is a real problem for the D's. And I don't yeah. think they've, they've learned how to go after that vote. I think the Republican lunch bill stuff works a lot better than what the Dems are talking about. Well, it's two things in that group. Everyone brought up housing. I mean, we were in Vegas, but they brought up the cost of housing. And then when we talked about immigration, you know, they're very they're more progressive leaning in terms of uh, a pathway to citizenship for undocumented immigrants who are here. But they were all pretty upset about the border and they were a little more conservative on border security than I would think a lot of activists might might think. Yeah. Democrats assume uh, that first of all, there is an assumption that 
Hispanic voters are monolithic and it's a very diverse community. And, you know, you go to, you go to South Florida, it's a different deal than, uh, if you are in, in Vegas, for example. Uh, but, uh, um, so, so I think that's a, a big mistake. And uh, many uh, Latino voters are, are culturally conservative. Uh, and that's another uh, factor here. Uh, just on the polling issue, you guys, uh, w- you know, you talk, Murphy, about the fact that polls are a snapshot in time, they can change and so on. But another factor has been in the last se- uh, several elections, I think 2018 may have been an, an exception. But, um, you know, these polls have missed uh, some of these Trump voters, uh, particularly non-college Trump uh, voters. And uh, Nate Cohn in the Times did a chart of um, uh, if if you applied the same uh, margin of error relative to that missing uh, the Trump voters, uh, how these races would look, and they would look significantly different. I mean, you know, you've got a race. I think Tim Ryan in Ohio is probably running one of the best races in the country. Uh, and he's doing what Democrats need to do, which is talk to working class voters, something that Democrats have lost the ability to do in many cases. And uh, and he's polling well against J.D. Vance, uh, the uh, quick change artist who's running for uh, uh, the Republican nominee that the Trump-sponsored Republican nominee, so much so that Republicans have poured, what, $27 million into that race to try and save Vance. But, uh, you know, on this uh, Nate Cohn chart, if you applied this sort of correction based on polling errors relative to these voters, um, you know, what looks like an even race becomes uh, a minus seven race. Uh, So, I mean, that's the thing. In these tight races, Favs, you know, you look at Wisconsin, you look at Ohio, which I think is an is a, a long shot uh, race. But in, in you know Georgia, where Herschel Walker, you know he's people love to make fun of Herschel uh, for all of the errors that he but makes. But he's hanging in there in the data. I mean, yeah. he's he's a bit of a canary in the coal mine, so to speak. That under the normal rules, why isn't he way far behind? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to hear what you think about this this polling challenge. My my theory on this is, you know, the the non response bias problem is is real and and more systemic than just in one election, which is like non college educated voters, voters who are sort of disconnected from politics, don't have a lot of faith in institutions, and they're less likely to answer a pollster's call in the first place. In mostly white states like Wisconsin that's going to miss a ton of Trump voters. The states where the polls ended up being a little bit closer, like Georgia, is partly because it's also missing a lot of non-college black and Latino voters in these polls too. But then in states that are highly educated, like Colorado, the polls end up being closer. So there's this bigger problem where these polls are not getting most of the electorate, which is people who don't have a college degree and don't pay a lot of attention to politics. Yeah. My friend, uh, Dr. David Hill, the uh, Republican pollster, friend of the show, and by the way, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, the rock concert promoter who first brought the Rolling Stones to Alabama, it, it made, has made an interesting... We well, that's enough show. for me. Uh, yeah, they, no, no, he's very smart. And, and he's made a point. What you got to remember about polling science is in regular measurement science, you're going to measure an inert thing. Oh, that gas is X temperature. People have to choose to participate 
So, you know, the, the, the thing you're measuring can have a point of view, and that point of view can be anti-establishmentarian, which is screw you, or I'm going to lie on the poll, or I'm not going to talk to a pollster, because polls are so ubiquitous now. In the old days, you know, oh, a call from the Galloper, you'd stand up. It was like the president calling. It was the poll. Now we have polls every 12 seconds, and they don't mean as much. And having an opinion about the polls, which could affect the measurement or the participation, you know, is a thing. Uh, so yeah, yeah, that, and that's a very, you can't really correct for that in polling. You just got to hope it's a small enough people not to be material, but in the, what we have now, our, our political mud wrestling, eh, I think it's growing. I'm, I'm totally with Favs on this. So the, the, the issue is, I mean, midterms work against the incumbent, uh, almost, uh, almost invariably with very few exceptions, like ninth, first, first term of a president, 34, I think. And uh, 2002 were the aberrations, but generally, the incumbent party loses because it is a referendum uh, on the president. I think the hope that Democrats have is that because of Dobbs, because of Trump, because of the January 6th hearings and all of these revelations about what's in his basement at Mar-a-Lago, and uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I submit that the mass shootings in early. June were uh, a piece of this. There is a sense among independent voters in particular that maybe the Republicans have gone over the edge and you see significant gains among independent voters. But at the end of the day, can it, will it be uh, a choice election or a referendum? And it's very hard to keep it in that choice frame. Yeah, you know, it, it, historically, we know it, it wants to be a referendum. The question is Dobbs and all the stuff this year crazy candidates, will that be enough to warp it over? And the problem, and you know, Republicans are the same, it's human nature. People want, particularly politically involved people, want the election to be about the stuff they care about, which is why they corner their Trump neighbor and say, don't you care about January 6th? You know, because I do. And everybody's like me. It's Pauline Kael, you know, the famous film critic who said, I don't understand what happened. Everybody I know on the West Side here voted for McGovern. How'd, how'd he ever lose? So, you know, we're, we're going to see. I would say the one place where it's going to, they're, they're going to be forces that help the Democrats like that. So the question is, are they big enough? And the one place where there might be a perfect storm is a couple of these Senate races. I think the House is probably gone. I think the historical model will hold up. Maybe not as big as the expectations were. But, you know, will, due to crazy candidates, declining suburbs on Dodge, young turnout on Dobbs, including young men who are highly pro-choice, will that throw, you know, a, a Senate race or two? Will a Marco Rubio lose? Will, will it save Cortez Masto in highly pro-choice Nevada? You know, that's where at the margins where those personalities break through a little, that the Republicans, at least in conventional wisdom right now, are looking like they're going to underperform with self-inflicted wounds. But, you know, it's not certain. Yeah, well, especially in places where there are both very Trumpy, extreme Republican candidates and, you know, more college-educated populations or states that are more pro-choice or suburban districts, I do think you'll see. I mean, because, look, one of the reasons that the party in power ends up getting screwed in the midterm is because they pass legislation. There's a backlash. We dealt with this in 2010 with the Affordable Care Act. This is a, a unusual circumstance where the party out of power did something incredibly unpopular because the Supreme Court overturned Dobbs. And so there is a backlash against the party that's not in power, even though they control the Supreme Court. And I, I do think that'll have an effect. 
And the party in power has passed stuff. I mean, this is probably a dereliction on the part of Democrats. The party in power has passed stuff that is actually popular. I mean, one of the things I wonder about you is you've got 60% or more of the electorate's going to be senior senior citizens. Uh, they passed this uh, uh, Medicare prescription provision that allows for the negotiation of prices on Medicare, prescription drugs, insulin, uh, a cap on insulin costs. Um, it seems to me that has been underplayed by Democrats here because that could be really useful with voters who we know are going to are going to come out. And that is an inflation issue. That is a quality of life issue. Um, but let me ask you guys something else. Um, you know, I'm, I, this is we've talked about this before, Mike. Uh, you know, right now, Democrats in many of these Senate races, governor's races are defying gravity because Biden's approval rating in those states is lower than they are nationally in the swing states, just by definition, you know, I think in Arizona, his he's at 42 or three nationally. Now he's at 40 in Arizona, just as as one example. But Pew found this uh, interesting uh, kind of departure from the norm, which is normally people who have a negative view of the president vote against his party in the in the election. But people who are somewhat unfavorable to, which is about 17% of the electorate, unfavorable to Biden, uh, are uh, are more inclined to vote for Democrats. In other words, they're detaching their feelings about Biden from the Democratic Party. Yeah. Well, so, that's how this year could be different. But I'm, you know, I, the first time I got thrown out of a Republican White House was after the first Gulf War, when the political office brought in all the consultants. And, you know, coming up on uh, the, the Bush reelect of Bush one. And I was a puppy and jeepers. Can I have one of those cufflinks? You know, we're all sitting around and the, the, the White House political two. people were, were <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Well, I was younger then. I had been corrupted by hanging around with you. Um, so anyway, to make a long story short. They go around the room after a big speech about the president's favorables at 80, you know, we can't lose in the bag. We're geniuses. Anybody want a medal? We're handing them out here. And we were on the table and it came to me last. And I'm like, you know, jeepers, guys, the right track, wrong track is really upside down. So that's in conflict with the president's numbers. And I, and all of a sudden my chair, the carpet somehow is moving by itself towards the door. <laughs> and, and I said, I think we're in real trouble. Anyway, I got thrown out of the, the, the meeting nicely. Uh, didn't make the next one. They've lost the invitation. But bet on the big kitchen table numbers, and the president is the big thing. So I, I think there could be a little of that, what Pew sees in the end, but I don't think there's going to be a lot. Historically, there hasn't been. Maybe it's different this time. But that that's a thin reed to hang everything on. If they can't move Biden's numbers up by, you know, October, late October, I think uh, – there are going to be some upsets, and Senator Herschel Walker and others may really surprise people. Okay, then let's take a break right here, and we'll be right back. Listening friends, we're going to take a minute now for the Hacks on Tap podcast players to bring you a love story. Once upon a time, a Chicago-based political consultant was in search of a true love. He found it in the Helix mattress. It's incredible. So now we're bringing you that Mr. Axelrod fresh from a long night's sleep on the magnificent Helix mattress. Axelrod, tell us, 
Why do you love the Helix? Well, first of all, I love Helix because when I go to sleep every night, I hear that music in my head, <laughs> and it's soothing, and it lets me sleep. But beyond that, this honestly is the best mattress that I've ever had. I tried it out because we were sponsoring it, but I sleep on a lot of mattresses. I travel a lot and go from place to place. I never get as good a night's sleep as I do when I sleep on a Helix mattress. It is tailored for my unique sleep preferences. They have 14 unique mattresses, hmm. including a, a collection of luxury models, a mattress for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made just for kids. And you know, they personalize it to you because you take a test. Right. That's the key, right? You go online and uh -huh. you take a quick test and it tailors it just for you. Yeah. And I, you know, I took that Helix uh, sleep quiz and I, I would matched with a, a, a model that conformed to my kind of sleeping. I got a medium mattress. I sleep mostly on my, uh, my side and back and uh, I move around quite a bit. The mattress fits my needs. It bends where it's supposed to bend. It supports where it's supposed to support. And it's so easy. You know, it comes in this box and it's uh, sort of freeze wrapped in a big a plastic wrapper. You open it up and it unfolds. And this mattress is perfect. It sounds like a sci-fi movie. It doesn't try to keep growing and eat the capital, right? It just <laughs> is happy to be a mattress once it once yeah, it yeah. I mean, the setup was just, it was fast. It was easy. It was uh, delivered right to the door. And here's a great thing. Helix mattresses are American made and come with a 10 or 15 year warranty, depending wow. on the model. Yeah. And remember, you get to try it out for 100 nights, Mike, risk free. If you don't love it, and I can tell you that you will, if you don't, they will pick it up for you and give you a full refund. Mm, it sounds like incredible. How do the good people get a Helix mattress? And now even better news, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and, and Mike Murphy, two free pillows for our listeners. And all they have to do is go to helixsleep.com slash hacks, because you know what? With Helix, better sleep starts now. So friends, there it is. Start your own love affair with a perfect sleep with the highly recommended Helix mattress. We thank Helix for sponsoring Hacks on Tap. Ah. So, Fabs, I have a theory I wanted to run by you, which is you know, Biden won in part because he was uh, he was the you know the opposite of of Trump. He was you know he wasn't bombastic. He was you know. Uh, kind of benign in terms of his 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 personality, and some of that is working against him now. People don't find him inspiring. They, you know, there are questions about age and so on, but he's also not a threatening figure. And uh, I, I wonder if that works for him here. I wonder if it makes people less apt to go out. You know, those people on the margins, that seventeen percent. A bunch of them are Democrats, by the way, but that seventeen percent are they less likely to? to go out and and to turn thumbs down because of Biden, because he's less of a player in the drama here. It was very interesting, the views of Biden in all of these groups. And it's it's different than sort of the prevailing media narrative in a couple ways. One is like there were no he's not a polarizing figure. No one had right. really strong feelings about Joe Biden in any of these groups. A lot of people were disappointed with them, but you heard a lot of He's a nice guy. He's there's a lot of problems come his way. I don't blame him for everything. Now, uh, when I asked, should he run again in 2024? Not a single 
person in any focus group wanted yeah. him to run again in yeah, 2024. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the feelings towards him went from either neutral and mildly disappointed to warm, right? And then and that split that we were talking about, I saw that in the Pittsburgh group more than anything because in three years of, of doing these groups, I have never heard any group be as favorable towards a politician as this group was towards John Fetterman. And there was a there was a Trump Biden voter in the group and he was like, I don't even think I'm gonna vote for him, but I respect him. I really I respect him. I think he's a good guy and everyone liked him and everyone thought Dr. Oz was crazy and a quack and stuff like that. And so um, I do think that some of these candidates, especially in the Senate races, can sort of outperform Biden. But you're right, Murph. But like how by how much? Right. If Biden's at 44, 45, maybe they can. If he's sitting at 39, 40, probably they can't. Right. And will be will it be a place like Pennsylvania where Oz is committed political suicide, essentially, if a lot of help from Trump. And Fetterman has the advantage of being the uncandidate in every way in a moment where uncandidates are in. You know, will will it be the same story with Warnock? You know, what, what'll happen? We should talk about New Hampshire. What, you know, incumbents in trouble. And will any Democrat challengers get any lift off anywhere? Um, by the way, just one Senate point, because I'll forget to make it, and I'll think later, damn, I should have made that point. The two most interesting Senate races where the candidates are doing the, they may lose, they probably both would be favored to lose, but they're both punching way above their weight and doing way better than the generic vote would give them, are Joe O'Day in um, Colorado, who's running as kind of an old school, hey, no crazy, uh, yeah, the Biden won, uh, a candidate against Michael Bennett, and Ryan, as you mentioned, in Ohio. And both of them are 180 degrees away from the normal herd, and they're both doing better than normal. There's such a lesson in both those races for the rest of the party, which will probably be ignored. But uh, I find them fascinating because there's perfect symmetry to it. And I've heard this. I just did a thing with Rove the other day, and he was touting the Colorado race. Um, But uh, I think when you dig down there, uh, I think people feel like on both sides that it's unlikely that Bennett will uh, lose. And I'm looking at Schumer just sent 15, he took $15 million from his, his own uh, money and he's sending it uh, to candidates and he's sending a million apiece to Warnock, uh, Hassan in New Hampshire, Cortez Masto in Nevada, uh, and Kelly. And he's sending half a million to Bennett and Patty Murray. So I just, that gives you a sense of where he thinks these races are yeah, at. Yeah, but also caucus politics. You know, I think Patty Murray's going to hang on, but he's got, you know, whenever the leadership gives money, it's My point is on the Colorado leader. race. Uh, yeah, yeah, I hear know, On the Colorado race. Talk about, you You, you spend a lot of, you talk a lot, uh, uh, Murphy, about New Hampshire. Uh, you, you spend a lot of time in New Hampshire. Talk about, this is the last primary day, New Hampshire, Rhode Island. Uh, talk about that uh, Senate race because... Uh, this is another example of where a Trump uh, cleaving uh, candidate, election denying candidate, could put a, a race out of completely yeah, yeah, out of yeah. reach for Republicans. <laughs> You're right. Back Talk to Talk about the, that primary. Well, New Hampshire's its own quirky state, you know, Pepperidge Farm, where <laughs> they have their own. We've all done primaries there. The, the old joke in the presidential is you. You're on a your campaign, your poor field kid in the Iowa caucus, your car breaks down. They're like, well, it'll be uh, $2, and we, we got a slice of pie for you here. It'll take about an hour in New Hampshire. That'll be three weeks for the pot, $200. Flinty, we call them. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Flinty New Englanders. The truth is, I we've got a house there. I love the place. I love their tax rate. Wish the California authorities weren't so sharp. Uh, but to the Senate race. So originally, Maggie Hassan, the senator, is in moderate to severe trouble in a year where it's bad to be a Democratic senator in trouble, particularly from a flinty, quirky state. Uh, so, of course, the obvious play was get popular Governor Sununu, son of, uh, disclosure, I'm a friend and supporter. Um, I just had to write a check to him last week, thanks to Pat Griffin, who caught me uh, on my driveway. So it was a piece of cake, right? Well, he he figured out that he had to be a senator in the Republican caucus and have lunch with Ted Cruz every week, and he declined. Uh, so he's in re-elect business up there. And so the party regulars, they said, well, let's get somebody who's not crazy. So <laughs> small list, but they found Chuck Morris, who's a great old Chamber of Commerce Republican state Senate leader, nice guy, not insane, trying to navigate the Trump years, and he's the candidate. The problem is there's a retired one-star Army general named Don Bolduck, who's been out on the trail forever, world is flat, you know, the usual stuff, very Trumpy. And he has support in the grassroots, and he caught fire by, you know, bottling crazy and selling it during a, a boom period for that kind of thing. And Morse is not exactly a turbine to steal the old joke. He's kind of a, uh, his Secret Service code name is Chuck Morse. You know, it's not Timberwolf or Lightning Boy or anything. And so he's in trouble. Now, he's got a good political guy, David Carney. He's a local up there who's worked nationally. You guys probably know David. Uh, old old Bushy from way back. Um and he's got a lot more money because, you know, he is not insane. But the polling has shown a lead for Bulldog. So the question is, Bulldog, excuse me, uh, can can Morse catch him? I'm going to find out tonight. Uh, you know, I, I would say McConnell's got an extra bottle of bourbon out for tonight if that one goes <laughs> south. And there's a good chance it will because then there's another great shot that in a normal year we would have won. Last year, this when McConnell when McConnell hits the when he hits that bourbon hard, does he behave any differently than when he's stone cold sober? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to yeah, imagine no, that. No, what, sounds what, 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 what happens is, as, as the moonlight streams in the window at the Capitol, when the bad numbers are in, he uh, picks up the phone and, you know, Jasper, bring me my drink and my stabbing knife. <laughs> and they bring it in on a silver tray and he has a drink and he goes out and tries to kill you know, somebody in the way of more Republican Senate seats. I'm a little soft on Mitch because uh, I know that if he were alone in a room with Trump and the lights went out and lights came on, Trump would be, you know, the, looks like a meatloaf accident, sir. And I think the <laughs> great man has passed. So anyway, but here's another one where self-inflicted wounds may blow up. What in a normal time, in a normal year, there'd be a Joe O'Day type candidate, which is what Chuck Morse is without the charisma. And he'd win or have at least a very good chance. Instead, we may give the Dems another one because we've gone crazy and are nominating crazy people. Favs, this is also another race, I think, where Dems have uh, invested in lifting up a, a crazy right-wing candidate by advertising just how crazy and right-wing they are, thus exciting the Republican base. I, I haven't heard you. I'm sure you guys have opined on all of this. Yeah. What, what's your view on it? I have a complicated view on this, or I have a more nuanced view on this. I think that it is playing with fire in depending on the race and the candidate, right? Like I think screwing around to get Carrie Lake nominated in Arizona yeah. is a is a pretty dumb move, and I really hate it. I think, um, and it's also the way that they do it too. Like I think in New Hampshire, what I've seen so far is that the uh, Democrats are attacking Morse as like a McConnell. 
establishment lackey, which is an, an ad that you would run in a general election against him if he ends up winning as well. I also think that in New Hampshire, look, we were just talking about it. If Morse wins, it's a tough race for Hassan. If Morse, uh, if if Baldick wins, then like she's probably coasting to re-election. And so I feel like it, I feel more comfortable with that in a race like this than I do in a race like in an Arizona or somewhere where you get a crazy Republican nominee that because of the demographics of the state really could win. And I think that's stupid. Yeah. Listen, uh, you know, we've talked about this. I don't want to belabor this because we've, we've talked about it so much. But the one that really stuck in my craw was Meyer in, uh, yeah, me too. in Michigan. Me too. The guy, the guy, you know, I mean, there's a guy who did the right thing, young guy. He was in Congress for three days, jeopardized his political career because he thought it was the right thing to do. And to do what they did to lift an election denier in a primary against him, I thought was uh, just cynical beyond belief. And, well, uh, if, if, if you want to be crass about it, he was probably going to lose anyway. So why are you putting your fingerprints on it and, and <laughs> get, yeah. getting involved like that? I just yeah. right. I, and I, I can't him. tell you in the our caucus how it screws up the incentive structure for the brave few who want to do the right thing. Because, I, you know, I know some of these conversations are like, look, I'm thinking of trying to move, but I can shut my local nut down. He won't raise any money. I might be able to handle a Trump endorsement, but the Deves are going to go give him $2 million. He's going to have more than I got. I can't do this. Look what happened to Meyer. See the empty chair over there? He was a good guy, too. It's harder to make speeches about democracy. Of course. When, when you're doing that. It just, it just contributes to people's sense of cynicism about the whole process to the extent they're paying attention. And by the way, cut to, they lose the House anyway. So, okay, now it's the worst Republican House and it's in the majority and you've armed a few kooks, you know. Yeah, I mean, well I, I think I think that they're thinking if you narrow the number, it makes it easier to win the House back mm-hmm. in the future. And I, I get all that, but you can't, so you got to ride a horse here. If you're the pro-democracy party, you, you shouldn't be... Uh, uh, complicit in in trying to uh, kill a guy who who was uh, who stood up, but yeah, let's give Stalin the A bomb. He'll beat Hitler a week quicker. <laughs> there we go, brilliant move, boys. <laughs> let's stop for a minute and listen to a word from one of our fine sponsors. Brother Axelrod, let me tell you about a miracle of electronic engineering. Tell it, man. Go ahead. The incredible. Magnificent Raycon wireless earbuds. You know, we, uh, we, oh, Mr. Yeah. Raycon sent us a couple, and I've been playing with these things for over a year. And I'm telling you, they look, feel, and sound better than ever. Plus, you know what? They don't fall out of your ears, which yeah. I appreciate. They have those optimized gel tips for the in ear fit that's perfect, and they're comfortable. You know, they stay in your ears, they don't fall out, and they feel good. What I love about them is the eight-hour playtime and a 32-hour battery life. So the things go on forever. I mean, you and I talk on the phone a lot, and you go off on one of your stem winders on world socialism. Yes, uh, yes because I have a 32-hour battery life myself. Yeah, I wouldn't get every word. Beyond all this, they're an incredible value. Raycons give you all that performance, but they're priced right. You get quality audio at about half the price of the other premium audio brands. It's no wonder Raycon Everyday Earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews. 50,000. Try them because what you're going to find out is, in addition to things we've already said, the noise isolation functions on these pods are really, really great. So you can concentrate on what you want to listen to. 
Yeah, and they have an awareness mode, so you can toggle the noise isolation on and off, depending on what you are. You have to talk to somebody. They've got all the bells and whistles, again, at half the price of the big famous brand. So go to Raycon.com today and use the magic code HACKS15. I'm going to repeat that for people who aren't listening to Raycon and have muddy audio. HACKS15 is your magic code because that will give you... 15% 15% off your Raycon order. That's Hacks15 at buyraycon.com to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com, code Hacks15. A couple of questions about this of these midterms. Can Republicans run away from abortion? Because you see that happening <laughs> try. all over. Yeah, I mean, you see what Blake Masters has done, literally aborting abortion from his website. You know, all the references to personhood and uh, a personhood amendment and everything else, doing ads, sort of running away. And this is becoming, I'm, obviously, it's a, it's a tactic. They are the dogs that caught the car. They've now done away with Roe. The implications of that are clear. It's the best movie can make, you know, because what happens is then it's a permission structure. Well, I kind of like him on most stuff, but I, you know, the abortion, no, that's kind of crazy. Well, he's not for that anymore. Oh, okay. He's evolved. So it's not a be all and end all, but it's a lot better than staying where he was. Yeah. But Favs, can that work? Will it work? I think it depends on the race and it depends on, you know, how much money some of these Republicans have to throw up ads saying that they're, you know, that they've changed their position or they've softened their position. I think that Lindsey Graham today is supposed to uh, introduce a a national abortion ban. uh, And he's saying it's uh, it's going to be 15 weeks. Uh, But I don't when thinking that will probably be clever. But it's not like it's a uh, it's legislation that legalizes abortion up to 15 weeks. It's going to be treated as a national abortion ban. And for purple and blue states that haven't had any restrictions, I think it's going to play like, oh, Republicans, even though they said we're going to leave this issue to the states. Now they're proposing a national abortion ban. And for people who are only paying sort of close attention to politics, all they'll hear is the Supreme Court overturned the right to an abortion. And now Republicans want to propose a national abortion ban. So I don't know that it's the clever political move that um that graham thinks it is yeah i mean you guys know what he's thinking which is now every candidate Uh something they can be for but it is a little too clever by half something that in the lindsey graham book of uh of operations is of course chapter one sentence one uh but you know the real thing that they want to do is have a two-sentence answer for most of these guys and then pivot on to the stuff that works so they're trying to de-velcro the issue a little yeah, I do get what Graham's trying to do. And I think they all, listen, I, I've, I've said before, I think McConnell, McCarthy, they were all counting on Roberts to moderate this decision by the Supreme Court because, you know, a 15-week ban was something they felt they could live with. This That was the Mississippi law. It, it didn't happen. Uh, I don't know if you can put that genie back in the bottle now. I, I you know, I do think... It's a problem. I'm doubt. But, but I mean, you might be able to dull the edge a little. I think that's the real question here. It won't make it go away. It won't make it a thing that helps Democrats a lot of suburbs. But does it let some energy out? And I think it might. So here's the second question, Favreau. Can Democrats run away from Biden? <laughs> I'll let you guys handle this. And hello to all our friends in the White House press office as they listen in. When they announced <laughs> that he was going to, uh, you know, campaign twice a week, my first you know, we we were through. We went through this in 2010. Uh, it's like, okay, great. Where are you going to campaign? 
where do people want you to campaign? Generally, in the the races that are closest, no one's advertising. You know, I'm with Joe Biden in those races. They're not talking about Biden. They're talking about things Democrats have done uh, yeah. and stuff that Biden can rightly claim some credit for. But they're not, you know, and Tim Ryan uh, was an example of that. Biden was in the state. He was in another part of the state and uh, waved from 200 <laughs> miles away. Didn't he? Ca- I, th- I thought he appeared with them. I thought Tim Ryan actually appeared with Biden when he went. I was surprised by that. No, I, I think I, I don't I don't think he did. Well, there is a Honolulu mayor's race, by the way, that's on fire. <laughs> he did also uh, he did also uh, say, you know, he was asked about whether Biden should run again. And he talked about generational change, the need for generational change and so on. I mean, but, uh, uh, you know, my point is uh, that most of them are staying away. Um, does that inoculate them? Uh, if the you know from the Republican campaigns that uh, uh, you know linking them to to Biden, I think when the president is this goes back to our earlier conversation when the president is a very polarizing figure, I think it becomes harder for the the candidates in that party to run away from them. I think when it's someone like Biden, it might not make much of a difference either way. You're right that I don't think a lot of them are going to be like asking for Joe Biden towards the end there <laughs> to to fire up a rally. But I think if Joe Biden does appear places, I don't know necessarily that it's going to hurt them that much. One of the ouchy things is who they will be asking for probably is Barack Obama, who polls much better with independent voters. uh, And, uh, you know, that's a that's a tension that when unspoken at last week's portrait unveiling but it's just a reality should, that you he's should a, explain to the good people what you're talking about there was a portrait unveiling at oh, the I'm white sorry. house and all the obama hacks were pulled out of various prisons and saloons uh to come back <laughs> and and have a big reunion party and as i joked to you when we talked on the phone when i was trying to hunt down larry grisolano uh, at the thing i'm like boy how biden politics coming up at all so it is tricky. We were pulled out of wine bars and museums, Mike, not <laughs> <That's true. laughs> saloons and prisons. Come on. But I do think that Obama could help in some of these places. And uh, Yeah, no doubt. He's, he's better. I mean, they should put all kinds of weird, hard feelings aside and send him as many places as possible. I agree, because it goes to the bottom line, which is what Joe Biden needs more than anything else is not affirmation by candidates campaigning with him now, he needs to do well, better in the midterms than people expect. And that, yeah. that, will, that, would be, that will be good for him. And we could talk about 24 another time. If I was doing one of those races, I wouldn't mind Biden because he's going to be on television in 100 million Republican ads anyway. If he'd come in and he had a message other than I have a halo and they have, they're devils, uh, which is unhelpful. If he was barnstorming for your thing, the senior prescription drugs, the do-nothing Republican Congress wants to take away the $7,000, $100,000-a-year jobs here in Ohio because they're on the Chinese communist side of the CHIPS bill, which is the biggest thing to happen to American manufacturing since the Model T. Boom, boom, boom. That Biden I take if I got to take a Biden. But the double jeopardy now is you get Biden and you don't really get a campaign winning message from Biden. Josh Shapiro, who's running for governor of Pennsylvania, did show up at a a public event on infrastructure because that was a tangible thing that he thought that he could sell. And he he made a point of saying, I'm here as the attorney general, (laughs) not not as a candidate. We'll see if people. Yeah, that's too clever by half. You should get the Lindsey Graham award for that one. 
this issue of debating, you know, we know Fetterman uh, has is trying to negotiate that because he has this auditory processing issue because of the stroke that he had before the election. Favs, you say he's well liked um, in the state, and obviously Oz is not. He has he's underwater pretty significantly. Is this a threatening issue, do you think, for uh, Fetterman? He's offered a solution, which is sort of a closed captioning kind of thing uh, uh, in the debate so that he can read what is being said. Um, but does it hurt him? And then I want to ask you about Arizona, where the candidate has no has not had a stroke but doesn't want to debate Carrie Lake, Katie Hobbs. I look, I think for Fetterman's brand – uh, which is he's not a typical politician. He tells it like it is. You need to debate. And I think they want to have it in October and not now because I think they believe he'll be better by then. I just interviewed him last week um, on on over Zoom and uh, he sounded he sounded like he's recovering. He sounded like he's getting back. And did he do the, was it done? I- yeah, we did. A, we did. Yeah, we did a Google Meetup. Thing where you could on, on Google Meet you can do that, but he was it was not like it was um, there was any delay. Like and it was me and Dan, we were going back and forth, and he he picked it up pretty fast. It takes him a little it takes him a little while to sometimes you know uh, he, he's like really sharp. He was very funny, um, but sometimes it takes him just a little bit to get to get all the words out, and you can tell that. But you can tell that he's getting better. But he's he's stuck there, which is an opportunity for them. They, they can't not debate, and even the Washington Post is beating the drum on this. They can push it back a little, though never, I'm never for debates right on top of the election. Uh, you want a little time to dig your way out of trouble. And mm. the state likes the guy, and they want to root for him. So you make it rocky, you know, you, you build a narrative around it, you make it a win. It's your only choice, and I think it can be a win for you. I also think that uh, Republicans run a great risk by trying to exploit this too cravenly. Yeah. People have vulnerabilities. People get sick. People understand that. Well, the thing that Fetterman has going for him is that he's a very real person. And he handled it in such a real way. He said to me, he's like, imagine you have a health issue and someone who's supposed to be a doctor is making fun of you for a health issue. He's like, he's like right. people all across Pennsylvania have health issues. Imagine if their doctor was making fun of them. Note to Fetterman, pack the first row with wounded war veterans. Yeah. Let Gaza have disabilities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, only th- the only thing that they, I think, legitimately can be criticized for is just the way they handled it in the days before the primary, where you know, it was kind of depicted as yeah. a slight, a slight uh, setback, and then it turned out it was quite serious. And, yeah. and I, I'd add just quickly also how they handled the beginning of the debate thing. They, they should have said from the beginning, we're going to be there, but it's going to be tricky for us, and here's why, yeah. and here's how yeah. we're going to handle it, and let's all root for John's recovery. Which is the right way to handle it, and they're doing it now. In Arizona, uh, Katie Hobbs, the Secretary of State, is the candidate for governor. It's literally a, a, a tied race. Uh, uh, with Carrie Lake, who is the you know who got elected as a Trump, Trump loving, election denying person, but she's also a former television news anchor. She's you know voluble and uh, very comfortable in front of the camera. This strikes me as a mistake for totally. us. Do she it early and do multiple debates and grind her down. The Carrie Lake show to. will get old, so throw gasoline on it for now, early. And yeah, my guess is she's going to be forced to debate. And it's going to look like she got dragged yep. there. Yep. Before we move on, let's talk about uh, a second 
what's going on in Ukraine, because that may have political implications here. You know, Biden's been on quite a run lately in terms of legislation passed, even though inflation has gone up. He's, you know, I think he's benefited from gas prices going down substantially. And now the Ukrainians are on the march in, uh, in the war. And, uh, and Putin is retreating. If that continues, you guys, uh, does that does that uh, chalk up to anything meaningful for Democrats relative to the election? Because Biden looks like a colossus, having uh, having supported uh, the Ukrainians from the beginning. Uh, you know, I think it's iffy. One, it's been with the exception of a couple of cranks like Mike Lee of Utah, who clearly is you know on the wrong frequency on the Russia stuff. Uh, it's been bipartisan. The Ukrainians are doing great, God bless them. Uh, but it could go sideways for Biden, too, because if the Russian army completely collapses and there's real turmoil inside Russia and disorder, th- this is the kind of crisis that can go sideways, too. Um, so there's, you know, in the, in the Ukrainian sense, it's all fantastic, and Biden can take some bows, but it's not like he fought anybody. It was consensus. And it could turn into another kind of big, big crisis fast, uh, and then we'll all be on podcasts saying, well, did Biden fumble, uh, you know, now that a small nuclear weapon has been set off by the Russians in Ukraine? Did he push it too far? Uh, did Joe bring us to the brink? I mean, the media pack will go in the opposite direction. So risky forest, I'd say, but it's sure, certainly something you can take a bow on. Yeah, I think it, it, obviously it's inspiring seeing what the Ukrainians have been able to do. And Joe Biden's been, uh, his policy has been good on this. But I think the worries are, Right. As Putin gets cornered, does he do something horrendous like a tactical nuke that spirals this even further? Or, you know, it looks like he's going to like cut off gas, natural gas to Europe. And mm-hmm. if the European economy gets in trouble, does that have ripple effects around the world? And then, you know, we're having more economic problems and more inflation here at home because of what Putin does. So I think it's uh, it's unclear, but I don't I don't know if I would bet on it being a good thing for Biden. The last part is probably the most germane. If uh, energy costs go up here because of what's happening over there, that is the most likely thing to influence the election, not the events on the ground uh, there. Time to pay the meter, but we will be right back. Now, let's hear from our sponsor. Mike, if you're a business owner that likes to jump to the news highlights, you'll love Indeed. With Indeed Instant Match, you can instantly receive a list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description. Hmm. So hiring? You need Indeed, because let me tell you, friends, Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. I mean, who wants to spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all in one place? That's what we call efficiency in business acts, and it really counts. Yeah, and I'll tell you something, this instant match is really something. Candidates you invite to apply through instant match are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search. This instant match is really something. You know, the data shows that over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, like right away. Indeed does the hard work for you, sponsor a job, and boom, Instant Match shows you candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately after you post. With Instant Match, you can start hiring fast. 
Yeah, it's amazing because anybody in business, time is money. You don't want to be on a bunch of different sites. You don't want to be screwing around. You don't want to spend hours. You want to use the high tech that Indeed has on their platform so you can do it all in one place, do it quickly, and get the applicant you need. Solve your problem. That's why over 3 million businesses worldwide are using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows that when you're doing everything for your company, you can't afford to overspend on hiring. Visit Indeed.com slash hacks to start hiring now. Just go to Indeed.com slash hacks. Indeed.com slash hacks. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So if you have a question for the hacks and one of our scintillating guests, it's easy. Just email us. Email our crack team of helpers, researchers, and ghostwriters here. Send it to hacksontap at gmail.com, hacksontap at gmail.com. We read the non-filthy ones, and we pick them. And if you did a past question, didn't get asked, try again, because we, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Second, you want to really stay on top of things, check out the Hacks on Tap newsletter. Gibbs and I write it because we can't afford Axelrod, but it's a lot of fun twice a week, free, shows up in your email, and we talk about a lot of stuff that's not on the podcast too. We have a fun one today on polling. How do you get it? Simple. Just go to hacksontap.bulletin.com, hacksontap.bulletin.com, sign up. It'll be in your inbox and it'll change your life. Come on, we know that. What do we got here? Austin, Wants yes. to know, after hearing the mailbag question last week about how Trump would never pick DeSantis as his VP, I was wondering who you think Trump might pick to be his VP in 2024. He would probably make an emotional choice rather than the best choice politically. Uh, so this guy is answering his own question. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Austin, that is a fascinating question. I actually don't think Trump will be the nominee, but, you know, ignore me. Uh, there's only one choice, and it's pretty obvious. Senator Herschel Walker, I believe, would be his first choice because under Trump logic, he's loyal. People love him. I'll get the black vote. It's a masterstroke uh, in the warp funhouse mirror of Trump's mind. And I'm only half kidding about that. He'll want somebody totally loyal. It won't be the normal calculation, which is often wrong, of we got to do balance the ticket, or I'm right-handed, I got to have a left-handed person, or I'm boring and everybody hates me, so I got to get a superstar, which of course will only diminish me. It won't be all that stuff. It'll be who's loyal, who jumps the highest when I call their name, and who's got a gimmick that I think with my insane Trump mind will help me win the election. So my front runner with God knows who it'll be, but I'll nominate potential Senator Herschel Walker. Well, a lot of steps before you get there. Big wind up. Big one. Yes. It feels like Trump will not be the nominee of the Republican Party, but every single poll you look at, he continues to be the dominant candidate. He's dominated, you know, primaries. I, I don't know. It's your try. Yeah. No, no, I get it. Election were held tomorrow, he would be, but but we'll see what happens. Every once in a while, I drift into the Murphy camp and think, Maybe Ron DeSantis could take him down. But, uh, you know, after the Mar-a-Lago raid and seeing how everyone responded in the party to that, I don't know. I think Donald Trump has a lot. You know, in this Emerson poll in Arizona, more people said they were more likely to vote for Trump because of the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago than people who said they'd be less likely to vote for Trump. Uh, I mean, I... I, The fullness of time. Free yourself from the tyranny of daily polling. Okay. It'll do you good. 
All right. Okay. <laughs> he says not believing. You know, we record this stuff. Yeah. So. yeah. No, okay. no, no. I, I've said it's a contrarian view, but uh, I, you know, I, we're, we're see. It's a sequel, and it's kind of lame, and he's not as good as he used to be, and there's tremendous fatigue. It's just like your focus groups. You know, yes, going to Trump, uh, Republicans, 80%. He did a good job. I don't like the way the media beats him up. Boy, I hate Biden. Should Trump run again? Yeah, the room splits in half. That's a tell. Yeah. yeah. We'll see. I mean, I just don't know. I mean, I've, been, I've made so many predictions about Trump that have been wrong over the years. That um, me I'm, too. I'm, I'm loath to make any any more of them. But there's only one way out. We asked John a question. That's how we put a button on this little uh, disaster. Where All right. Well, I will ask wrong. him a question because Brian has a question for John, and he says, "In a world where public opinion can move quickly because of social media, the 24-hour news cycle, etc." He's thinking Pod Save America, by the way. Why are you guys consistently surprised at each election when the extreme scenario happens? Hmm. Why are we surprised at each election when the extreme scenario happens? I uh, Well, I'm no longer surprised. <laughs> I left surprise <laughs> behind in 2016. That was the last that was the last time I was surprised. Uh for for precisely the reason that that Brian mentions, which is you know, things move fast. I also think it's because, look, polls change, but we are a very divided electorate now and have been for some time. And so a lot of these races, whether they're presidential or in a lot of these swing states, happen on the margins. And when it's a couple thousand votes in each, either direction, we shouldn't be surprised by what happens, even if it's a crazy far right candidate there. If it's a if it's a close state uh, with a close electorate, then, you know, that's what we get. Yeah, I also I want to challenge the idea that the extreme actually happens. And we, we had an extreme thing happened after the election in 2020, but a very not extreme thing happened in the election, which is a guy who was very much a center left Democrat, moderate in temperament and approach, uh, won the election. So I don't know that the extreme thing always happens in elections, but, you know, in the era of Trump, a lot of crazy and disturbing things have happened around elections, after elections, uh, in the White House, and so on. That's a that's a different thing. But Americans rendered a verdict on that in 2020. Yeah, people forget that he got fired, he got thrown out of office. You know, a lot of yes. incumbents win, and that that is in all the hysteria that's underreported. Just a, a final word on this, and the last question. I don't doubt, I mean, I think Trump is a huge liability to the Republican Party, and that's obvious because nobody really wants him around right now in the general election campaigns. Uh, and I think he'd be a liability in the general election in 2024. That's a different question as than whether you guys would choose him, uh, or not you guys, but the Republican Party. So we'll, we'll see about that. Now we're going to wrap this thing up with the mega question from the brilliantly named Michael. No relation. Michael wants Axelrod to answer this mega question. Given MAGA Republicans' hatred of Mitch McConnell, why aren't Democratic candidates in purple states running against McConnell more? David, since you're in charge of all that, <laughs> seems like it might be an effective strategy for someone like Fetterman to peel off some of the Trump Republicans who hate McConnell. What say you, General Axelrod? Well, first of all, I think in the pantheon of, of, of villains in the minds of uh, swing voters and, and, and Democrats, uh, McConnell is a bit player next to uh, Donald Trump. And that's where, uh, that's where uh, people are focusing their attention and on uh, 
some of these extreme positions that Republicans are taking, particularly on uh, abortion. And I think that's uh, where it should be. Um, you know, I, I don't know that, you know, McConnell, I, I know that a lot of Democrats have huge contempt for McConnell, but, you know, he's a pretty low energy kind of character to organize against as well. I'm, I'm not sure. I know he's unpopular. I'm not sure he's the guy that would turn anybody's engines on. They got a guy like that in Trump and uh, they're making, they're making some, uh, they're making some use of it. All right, brother, we'll let you go. This was fun. It's uh, for it's me. great to see you. Yes. John, thank you so much for joining us, Hacks here. Go take a couple of showers. You'll feel better and, and back to your life as one of America's preeminent podcasters. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody should, everybody, you are one of America's preeminent podcasters. And if you doubt it, then just listen to the wilderness and uh, the insights that John is bringing to uh, this election campaign. Actually going out and talking to people, which is a refreshing change for many people who yammer about politics all the time. Good to have you, brother. Thank you for letting me be on one of my all-time favorite podcasts. And it's always good to spend time with you guys and, uh, and chat about politics. So thanks. All right. X, great to talk to you. I'll see you soon. See ya. Bye.